I am honored to have the privilege of standing before you today and sharing this platform with the likes of my friend Tim Hale. I've really kind of expected Tim would have me come up and we'd sing God Bless America as a duet like we've done all over the state of New Mexico. And of course, he's embarrassed me that way several times. So maybe it's better that we didn't. And David, my goodness, what a wonderful praise leader you folks have in him. I've been invited to be here two weeks, so I'll be uh, planning to be here today and, and again next week. And next week I plan to preach on what you, you do when you feel like your life is mired in a pit of despair. I call it the Quigley Special. And for those of you that have gone through Marine Corps officer training, that may bring back uh, some memories. But this week we're going to laugh and rejoice a little bit. Sometimes in life, we just need to put things on pause and just enjoy life for a little bit. Just take a deep breath and find something to laugh about, don't we? A wonderful and familiar proverb is Proverbs 17:22. It says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. An old Yiddish proverb says, what soap is to the body, laughter is to the soul. So let's think some soapy thoughts for a bit this morning. There's some funny stuff happening out there and some of it even happens in church. And so we're going to think about some of those, and, and I'll share with you some things that, have, that are funny, and some of them weren't very funny when they happened, but they're funny on hindsight. I was uh, singing in the choir one time in a church in uh, Coleman, Texas. I sang bass, and Dr. Charlie Fuller was a medical doctor, and he was sitting on my left, and it came that time in the service when a lady got up to sing the special music. And this dear lady was, was just a, such a saint, but she was about 10 years past her vocal prime. <laughs> and her vibrato had gotten to where it was something slightly over an octave. And, and she sang, you know the song, The Holy City? Last night I lay asleeping, there came a dream so fair. Well, she was singing The Holy City, but she sang it really slowly. Last night, I came up, and just, she got about that far into the song, and about a third of the way back, right next to the center aisle, a dear little old lady just fell over. <laughs> and so, you know, this could be serious. And so Dr. Charlie, sitting next to me, got up and moved down around and went over to see what it was. And one of our ushers came down from the back, and they got to see her. And this, so Charlie sent the usher back to the, to the uh, foyer, and the usher called, had to look up a phone number, called an ambulance. And a little while, you could hear the ambulance 
coming up, the, the siren and the ambulance pulled up and they wheeled out the gurney. They brought the gurney down the middle aisle of the, of the church and they picked up this lady. The EMTs were there. They picked up the lady and put her on the, on the gurney and, and uh, wheeled her back out. And then after a while, Charlie came back up and sat down next to me again. And this dear lady was still singing the Holy City. And, and even, that was funny even then. <laughs> but sometime later, I saw her in the choir room, and I said, boy, how did you do that? And she said, God just gave me strength. <laughs> oh, that was special. When I was a, a college student in Portales, I was singing in the, in the choir at First Baptist Church. A lot of things happen in the choir loft, don't they? I was, I was singing in, in uh, our, our Choir loft was, had some work being done on it, and we had metal chairs up there, and it was a hardwood floor. And so uh, noise could be made pretty easily. But I was like 19 years old, and the, uh, uh, the pastor, Bobby Stalkup, got up to, to preach his sermon, and I crossed my right leg over my left leg like this. Did you ever do that? And it goes to sleep. And you move your foot to see how much you can move it. And over a period of time, you can move it less and less and less. And pretty soon, it's dead. You can't move it at all. And so by the time Bobby finished preaching his sermon, my leg was completely dead. And when he got to where he was praying the prayer at the end of his sermon, he had us stand up to begin the invitation. And I stood up and hung on to the chair in front of me. And I was standing on my good leg, and I got to thinking, you reckon your dead leg will hold you up? And so I shifted my weight onto my dead leg, and I fell down, and I took three of those metal chairs down with me. (laughs) And Bobby stopped praying, and he looked up at me, and he said, Joe, are you all right? And I wanted to act like I had a heart attack (laughs) right there in front of everybody. Mm, Things we do. My text is going to be found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, if you want to look at it while I tell you one more. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. When I was a kid, Papa was going to the seminary in Fort Worth, and he was pastoring a little country church right outside Dublin, Texas. And uh, the, country, the, the, the church was the old kind that was all wood, and it had a wooden floor, and the boards went sideways, and it sloped slightly down to the pulpit. And it was a wooden pulpit down there. But next to the church was a tabernacle, we slept, we, we worshiped at nighttime under the tabernacle, which was like a, a, a roof with uh, boards holding it up. And, uh, and then next to that was the parsonage where we lived. And Adam and I, during the summertime, would sleep 
on an army cot in the backyard of the parsonage because it was hot in the, in the summertime. And I, would, I was like six years old or seven or something like that. And I would sleep with my head on one end and Adam would sleep with his head on the other end. So that sets the stage. And we were at church one Sunday night in the church building because it was nighttime. And uh, Adam says to me, we were sitting on the back row and Papa was preaching. And Papa was pretty, pretty tough. If any of y'all ever knew R.A. Long, you knew he was pretty tough. And so Papa was preaching, and Adam says, watch this. And he pulled a marble out of his pocket. And he put the marble on the floor, and he let it go. And you could hear it go, tick, 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 boom. And it hit the pulpit right up in front of Papa. And he was like, did it again. Put it down on the floor. Tick, 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 boom. <laughs> he said, watch this. And Pop, I think Pop knew it was happening, but he just chose to ignore it because he wanted the spirit of the Lord to move instead of the marbles. And so, so Adam took out what we called a steely, a big old ball bearing. And he put that down there and he let it go. And it went, toom, toom. Tone, 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 wham, right up in front of Papa. And Papa stopped preaching, and we knew we were in serious trouble. And Papa said, Richard Adam, he was older, Richard Adam, you and Joe sit there and shut up. He said, shut up from the pulpit. And he said, we'll deal with this after church. Well, at the closing prayer, Adam leaned over to me and he said, as soon as church is over, we're going to run home and get in bed and we'll be asleep before Papa comes home and he won't wake us up to whip us. It wasn't spanking, it was whipping. He said, he won't wake us up to whip us. The stupidest thing we ever did was take our pants off to get in bed. <laughs> Funny things happen in church. Well, our text, Philippians 4, 4 through 7, is written by Paul, who is sitting in prison, but ex still experiencing the joy of Christ, even in that very difficult circumstance of his life. It's written to Christians. So if you're a Christian, even more so, experience the joy of life. Knowing Christ personally is a prerequisite to knowing fully what I have to say today about experiencing the joy of Christ in our life. If you don't know Christ, by the time we finish up here in a few minutes, I will explain how you can know. If you don't know whether you know Christ or not, you don't. And I'll explain to you how you can have a personal relationship with Christ. But what this is about is having the joy of a personal relationship with him in your life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 4, we have the command to
to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. When you find something repeated in the scripture, that's important stuff. A command to rejoice. The world needs a religion of joy. A sour, pessimistic Christian is a poor advertisement. Please check yourself. Are you a sour, pessimistic Christian? We need a, a, a religion of joy. Now, I draw a distinction between joy and happiness. What I'm talking about is joy, which is an umbrella of peace and joy in every circumstance. Happiness is circumstance-driven. We can get up on the wrong side of the bed and be unhappy. But no matter what the circumstance with the Holy Spirit living in us, we can have a sense of joy no matter what's going on. Isn't that right? We can know the Lord is with us and joy can be ours in every circumstance. Happiness comes and goes. But joy is what I'm talking about here. Cheer up, Christian. Take a good look at the blessings the Lord has given us. The blessings the Lord has given us. Jesus Christ himself leads us in three good cheers. He says, using the King James translation, he says, be of good cheer on three different occasions. He says, be of good cheer or cheer up. Your sins are forgiven thee. That's in Matthew 9, 2, where he has just healed a paralytic. Somebody who was paralyzed from birth. He's healed them, and now he's saying, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. He healed the guy. Yeah, be of good cheer. You can walk, but be of good cheer even more. Your sins are forgiven you. That means you've got the eternal reward. Be of good cheer. Cheer up. Your sins are forgiven. So forgiveness is ours. We can be of good cheer about that. Another place. In Mark 6.50, he says, be of good cheer, it is I. That was that occasion where Jesus came walking on the water out to the disciples. They were scared to death. They weren't having a good day. And Jesus came walking on the water that scared them. And Jesus said, hey, be of good cheer, it is I. That's companionship. You and I have companionship with Jesus Christ the Lord when we have that personal relationship with him. Whatever the circumstances of life, we have companionship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then the third one, be of good cheer, cheer up, I have overcome the world. Now this is the place where he is getting his disciples ready for his departure. That's not a very cheerful time. The disciples were worried about where they've been putting their trust. They've been putting their trust on this guy through thick and thin for the last three years that's now telling them, hey, I'm fixing to go away. And some of them are kind of worried about, oh, what's going to happen to us? But Jesus says, be of good cheer. Cheer up. I have overcome the world. Victory is ours. Victory. Just like we sang about victory in Jesus. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We have the victory. So Jesus is saying to us, cheer up, believer. You have forgiveness. You have companionship. And you have victory. 
you got a lot to be cheerful about. Verse 5 says, everybody should be able to see our joy just by observing us. Do those who know you best see the joy of the Lord in your life? Do the people that know you at work see you as an old curmudgeon? Or do they see you as somebody that has the joy of the Lord in your life? Do your family members see you as somebody that's really kind of a sourpuss? Or do they see you as somebody that really reflects the joy of the Lord in your life? Where does that come out? So Jesus is saying to us, cheer up, believer. But looking at verse 6, we see a major problem then. There's a problem. Something gets in the way. Gets in the way of our joy. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Worrying being or anxiety is a contributor to a joyless frame of mind. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians and he warns them about letting their joy get eaten up by anxiety. Christian, do you spend a lot of time worrying about stuff? Most of us spend a fair amount of time concerned about stuff. We're concerned, we're anxious, and that, take, that tends to nibble away at the joy, that umbrella of joy that needs to be over our lives. It tends to nibble holes in it. And sometimes it can almost destroy the joy. So that's one of the reasons Paul is talking about it here. He says, wait a minute, that can, that can destroy almost the joy of your life. So let's, let's think about worrying or about anxiety for a few minutes. I have a friend that says, I know worrying works because 95% of what I worry about never happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. I read somewhere that there are two times not to worry. The first time not to worry is when you can do something about it. Just get out and do it. The other time is when you can't do anything about it. Why worry? If you can't do anything about it, well, of course, that's easier said than done. But apparently, there's not really any time to be spending time just worrying. A few things that cause worry for us, especially Christians. Personal weaknesses that bring about strong temptations make a Christian worry. Personal weaknesses. We all have at least one, I believe, besetting sin. You and I do. And even those of us that have reached maturity, it's still the fact. But some of us have kind of learned to deal with it better as we get older. But we have a besetting sin. Most of us do. We, we have something that just won't leave us alone. It just comes back to get us. It comes back to niggle. It's just there. It, there it is again. It's a temptation. It's something that, that or, or maybe it's anger or, or whatever it is. It's something that flares back up every once in a while. It's a besetting sin. What do we do about that? We could just worry about it or we could take some steps to deal with it. First of all, accept that you have that sin. Yeah, I've still got that thing. Then you can pray a hedge of thorns around it. Then you talk to God and you say, God, please isolate that from me for right now. Just God, isolate it from me. Pray that hedge of thorns. And then 
Develop a Christian confidant that you can go to. Now, you want to be really careful about this. Develop somebody you can talk to about it. And it needs to be somebody of your same gender. You don't want to be talking to somebody of the opposite sex about all of the details of your life, okay? Unless it's your spouse. Then, you know, but I'd say develop a confidant that you can spend some time, but you want to be careful that they're not a blabbermouth, okay? Develop a confidant that you can call for accountability, that they will talk to you and help hold you accountable. Then change for right now and give God the future. Change for right now. And then move on in victory. Victory in Jesus. Yep, got that one covered. Ten minutes later, it may pop back up again, and so we go through the process all over again. But it's good because Jesus Christ gives us the victory. Victory in Jesus. So personal weaknesses, we'll give them to Jesus. Another thing that happens that causes anxiety and worry, our competitive materialistic society sets ungodly standards. A competitive materialistic society. You ever go to high school reunions? Don't you love those? Like the 10th one was the worst. Everybody wanted to impress everybody else so much. They rented expensive cars to come to the 10th high school reunion. And they were showing off and doing all that kind of stuff. Yes, they all felt like they needed to show what they had done. And making, I graduated from Roswell High School. And, uh, and we were, you know, you wouldn't think in a town like Roswell, it would be, all, all my classmates had great big eyes and, and heads shaped like. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, that, but, that, but we all put pressure on each other to succeed in certain ways and, and to look a certain way and to do this, that, and the other. Another thing is a sense of personal failure makes us worry and feel anxious. We didn't make it closely tied to what I was just saying about reunions. We feel like there's a book called Men in Midlife Crisis, and your church library probably has it. It says that every man goes through a midlife crisis. It says all men do, usually between about age 35 and age 50. Somewhere in there, we go through a midlife crisis, which says we recognize that we are not where we thought we should have been by this time in our lives. And so we start getting down on ourselves and we start getting depressed. And sometimes we do stupid stuff like changing in our old model for a new one. And I'm not just talking about cars. Sometimes, you know, we're t we, we start swapping out things in our lives, changing jobs, doing this, that, and the other. And sometimes our marriages fail during that time because we do stupid stuff. If we're wise, we give that to God and we work through it in a sensible way. But if we're not wise, we do stupid stuff. Do you know why Chevrolet manufactures Corvettes? They don't do it for young people because young people can't afford them. They do it for us old guys. 
that are going through midlife. And women, you are not, you're not exempt from this. In my experience, it usually happens to you all around age 30. Because you never thought that you were really going to get to be 30. You thought you'd be in your 20s forever. But then you got the little crow's feet thing happening, and, and then you got the other stuff, you know. And so, so sometimes the women start trading in their old model for somebody that's either real young and makes them, you know, feel younger, or somebody that's real old and makes them feel younger. So, but what do you do? What do you do? Well, go back to the source. Go back to the source. Another th- place that, that causes our, our anxiety is the failure of people we trusted can destroy our joy and fill our lives with worry and anxiety. The failure of people we trusted, our parent, a spouse, a teacher, a preacher, somebody that we had trusted fails us. And, but let me tell you something, nobody's perfect. If you think they are, they will indeed fail you eventually. Who is our model? Jesus. There we go. We can pull up this and look and see what is perfect. And there it is right there. Don't go looking at my life history. Look at the life history of Jesus Christ our Lord. So where is it not? Where is what is uh, our source? Where is our source not found? Did Paul say rejoice in getting lots of stuff? Did Paul say rejoice in recognition and power? Did Paul say rejoice in the party till you drop lifestyle? No, he did not. He said rejoice in the He said rejoice in the Lord. Develop a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes it all real. There's the source of our joy. The joy of our salvation is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul changed from a self-righteous, egotistical power grabber into a joyful Christian in all circumstances when he let Jesus Christ control his life. Oh my, the joy that is available to us. Rejoice. Because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Acts 10, 43. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Rejoice because of Jesus. We are children of the King. 1 John 3, 2. Rejoice. Through Jesus we have access to God's power to help us be victorious in the circumstances of life. God's power indwells us through the power of the Holy Spirit no matter what the circumstances of life are. Philippians 4.13. Rejoice. Through faith in Jesus, we are assured God will supply our needs. Philippians 4.19. Rejoice. Because of Jesus, we already have 
citizenship in heaven. That's pretty good, isn't it? We have citizenship in heaven, Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Rejoice because of Jesus in our lives. We can leave a godly legacy to those who come after us. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. One caution, if you have to fake salvation's joy, then one of two things is likely true. Either you're a Christian that's not really committed and the Holy Spirit won't let you alone, or you have never really received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you need to get that worked out, and you can you can receive him as your personal savior. You can invite Jesus Christ into your life and give him your life completely and fully and start experiencing the peace and the joy of that umbrella that I was talking about a while ago. You can know him personally. This calls for a careful examination of the heart. There's so much to be joyful about when we have Christ at the center of our life. That means we are obedient to him. Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We give ourselves to him. We don't just play a game. We don't let the filth come out of our mouth when we get upset. We don't do all that. We, do, we give ourselves to Christ. Let him be Lord of our lives at church and at home, at the workplace and in the recreation place. David said, remember what? After he did the thing with Bathsheba and had Uriah the Hittite killed and all of that kind of stuff. In Psalm 61, he said, restore, well, I may be getting the Psalm number mixed up. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And he did. Restore the joy of thy salvation. You can have the joy of your salvation restored today. Talk to Jesus about it right now. Bow your heads with me, please. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, I encourage you to do that at this very moment. Talk to him. Talk to Jesus. Tell him, Jesus, I know I've sinned. The Bible says everybody has. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So just accept that you have sinned. Say, Jesus, I know I've sinned. And understand that the penalty for sin is death. That's talking about eternal separation from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Romans 6.23 says that. The wages of sin is death. But then there's a wonderful verse called John 3.16. That God so loved you that he sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for your sin. That's what his death on the cross was about. So you wouldn't have to die. You accept his death as payment for your sin and invite him to come into your life and to be your master 
you recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and you ask him to be your Lord, you pray a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned and I know my sin must be paid for by death. Right now, I I ask you to come into my life and to be my Lord and my Master. I accept your death as payment for my sin. Dear Jesus, please forgive my sin and be my Lord. Would you do that? Pray that prayer. Christian, do you have some getting right you need to do with God or with your fellow man? Are you experiencing the joy of your salvation? You know, that includes being in a warm, godly relationship with Christ and with our fellow Christians. During this invitation time, if you need to reconcile with God, I will encourage you in just a moment to come forward and share with one of our counselors. Or if you need to reconcile with a brother or a sister, Please seek them out as we take the time to examine our hearts. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper in just a moment. And as we take the Lord's Supper, you're going to need to have your hearts right with God and with your fellow man. That's what the Scripture tells us to do. So now would you please stand. And you make your decision for Christ. You make the decision you need to make. Our counselors will be up front. Do you need to come forward or do you need to go to somebody? Whatever you need to do. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will be evident as we each one seek to experience the joy of our salvation and the joy of our fellowship with each other. Right now, Father, we give ourselves over to you again. Move among us according to your will and your purpose. This is the time, folks, for you to make your decision according to God's will in your life.